of uh, preparation, a lot of effort, a lot of input. It's not all, there's a lot of natural gifting and ability, but it takes applying that for us to have the opportunity to worship like that. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Revelation Rock. It's good to see everybody today. Finally feels like the season that we're in outside. It's not confused. For at least a few minutes, it feels like springtime. Oh, there's a lot on my notes, and there's a lot in my mind and my heart that I want to share this morning, but we'll see where we end up with all of it. Last few weeks, uh, we took a break from the story of the Israelites' journey to the promised land. We had been looking, we've looked at that. I look back at my notes, and it's been about four months, so we're almost, I mean, we're getting close to the midpoint of that. <laughs> but the last few weeks, we've kind of hit and miss and went on some other little trips uh, into the things I feel like the Lord laid on my heart for us as a body. This morning, we're kind of going to get back to it. We're going to revisit something that we did talk about a couple of months ago, but we're looking at it from a different angle this morning. Last several months, we've been tracking their movements. The Israelites, they came up out of Egypt. We looked at the plagues in Egypt. Everybody remember that? We looked at in depth all the plagues. And the time they spent at Mount Sinai, the golden calf scandal and what that reveals about how well we as humans wait patiently. We don't do patient very well. When we wait, we tend to wander. We also looked at uh, how we like things that are our size. The Israelites had been led by the God of creation up out of Egypt, and yet when left to themselves and their own devices for 40 days, they wound up making a golden calf that was just their size. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob was far too great to ever comprehend. So they built one they could handle, carry around. But the reality is when we make God the size that we got to handle him and carry him around, we have to carry him around. He can't. It's just a statue. Then we looked at the mindset that this generation of Israelites had, and kind of why. And it was a little, that was kind of an eye-opening thing for me to, if you remember, we looked at how they came up out of the land of Egypt, but they, were, they had been in slavery for generations, over and over and over. Their parents, and their parents' parents, and their parents' parents' parents, and everybody had been slaves. So they came up out of the land of Egypt, but they did so with a slave mindset. And that slavery mindset tends to leave you thinking of yourself as a victim, it's tough to shake. This worldview that they had contributed to so many things that they decided, so many of their reactions to things, right up to Kadesh Barnea. We looked at when the Israelites got to the edge of the promised land, and they're ready to go into the promised land. But they're full of fear. They sent out 12 spies, rebelled against God's command to enter into the promised land for fear that the Canaanites, for fear of the Canaanites and their fortified cities. This older generation of Israelites, the ones that were adults when they came up out of the land of Egypt, they saw themselves the way the Egyptians had seen them. That's how they viewed themselves. Weak, beggarly slaves. Victims. But the generation coming up under them was a different story. These kids, they grew up in the wilderness. Their earliest memories may have been of the plagues of Egypt that their God delivered to the nation of Egypt. 
They may remember their parents carrying them across the Red Sea on dry land. Their formative years were spent gathering manna from the ground, which was just God's provision. Going to fetch water from the rock where Jehovah, the God who provides, had caused water to come. The kids whose only understanding of directions and GPS and maps, these kids' only understanding of that was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. These kids saw themselves as God's chosen people. It is absolutely imperative as we walk with Jesus in this world, it, is, it matters tremendously how we see ourselves. The way that we view ourselves will determine how we interact with the world around us. If you see yourself as a victim, you're going to get victim results. And this isn't like a TED talk or a self-help thing. This is straight from scripture. How you see yourself determines how you walk. We see this. The children of Israel that came up out of the land of Egypt that had spent their entire life in slavery got to the edge of the promised land, ready to go in. They had the command of God. God said, I'll go before you. I'll fight for you. I'll make a way. They had no reason to doubt him. In the natural, they had experienced, they were as a generation, they had experienced more of God's magnificent power, more miracles than any other generation that would ever live on the face of the earth. And it was all on their behalf. Tremendous things they had witnessed. And yet they get to the edge of the promised land and it's like, oh, there's no way we can do this. They're too big. The cities are too fortified. God was frustrated. So they went back and wandered for 40 years till all the unbelief had died off. Leaving just of those original 12, we see Caleb and Joshua that make it to the promised land. Moses died, climbed Mount Nebo and died, left Joshua in charge. Joshua was commissioned by God to lead the children of Israel. First scripture we're going to look at this morning, if you got your Bibles, you can open up to Joshua chapter 1. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. There's, you're welcome to follow along either way. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, this kind of brings us, we got, we're up to speed now, and we're at cruising altitude. Now we can start our introduction. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan River, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from this wilderness, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn, to it, turn from it to the left hand, right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all, do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Third time, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So when the Lord gave Joshua instructions, we don't see any of the hesitancy that Moses displayed. You wrap up Joshua chapter 1, God gives Joshua the command, it's time to cross the Jordan River. They, had, they were close to the banks of the Jordan, and they got to the Jordan River, and as I was praying about this, thinking about this this week, had this been Moses and Gen 1 of the Israelites, you can about imagine, like if you were to role play in that situation, you could see Mo, if Moses was in Joshua's shoes and the Lord's like, all right, Moses, it's time to cross the river, then you can see the children of Israel, the leaders of the tribes would say, whoa, 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 we could never cross the river. It's at floodplain. We couldn't do it. And plus, there's giants and there's big cities. And Moses will go back to God and say, look, they don't want to cross. Apparently, there's giants, big cities. And also, it turns out the river's at floodplain. We can't do that. You can see this back and forth. And then the Lord be frustrated and they kind of go back and forth. Maybe they'd meet in the middle. Maybe they wouldn't. This is their track record. But with Joshua, you see Joshua's like, all right, Lord, we're ready to roll when you are. Everybody, pack your stuff. Three days later, we're, we're ready to cross the Jordan River. It's a totally different attitude. And how many of you know, this is, we're going to kind of drop into this a few times throughout the morning. We're not looking at this story just looking for us. We can see us, there's little glimpses, and that's a layer of scripture to be sure. I'm not opposed to drawing instruction for us as believers today out of this, but the first and foremost, the deepest, the biggest, the most important thing that we see in this story is Jesus. We see the changing of the guard. We see old covenant under Moses could only take you so far. And we see the new covenant represented by the leadership of Joshua, which is Yeshua, which is where we get the name Jesus from. He's a type. He's a shadow. It's not a perfect representation, as no type and no shadow is. But there's a lot of depth to where we see in Joseph's leadership a representation of this new covenant that we're under today. There's a change. There's a handoff taking place. Under the old covenant, this is, I'm just skipping here, okay? Under the old covenant, the old generation of the Israelites were always rearward focused, were they not? They always looked back. Every instance where you see the Israelites in the books before Joshua, every instance where they encounter problems, what is their knee-jerk reaction? Somebody can shout it out if you want. You don't have to, but you're welcome to. Let's go back to Egypt. It, or, or it would have been better if we would have died in Egypt. Well, we got, we're all the way out here in the middle of the wilderness. Surely the Lord's hand that did all of the miracles that we saw, parted the Red Sea, all the things that we've witnessed, sure, he can't feed us all. We're just going to die. Yes, yes. He's incapable. He parted the Red Sea, defied all the laws of gravity, buoyancy, all kinds of things, scientific laws that are unbreakable. Jehovah, your God, defied them, and yet you're concerned that he can't get you a sandwich. You'll be, but that's their perspective. Everything in that first generation, they always looked back. 
Which if you think about it, the covenant of Moses, the law, the old covenant, what is it all focused on? Your past. You and your past. How'd you do? Not very good. How'd you do yesterday? Not very good. How'd you do the day before? Worse than yesterday. It's all rearward focused. But what happens when you get to Joshua, you see that the focus all shift. Joshua's not concerned about what happened back then, except for God's faithfulness. He's looking at what? Looking ahead. Looking at what lays before them. The promised land. He said, look, Abraham was promised this. Isaac was promised this. Jacob was promised this. Our folks were promised this. Let's go. He didn't look back. They weren't looking back like, oh, we should just go back to Egypt. Like that ship sailed. Egypt was toast at this point. We looked in depth at that a few months ago at how when the Lord delivered them from Egypt, there wasn't an Egypt left. It was over. The superpower of Egypt was over when the Lord brought them up out of it. So just keep that in mind as we look through this, that we're also looking not just at the story at face value and not just at where are we in the story, but the big thing that we're looking for here is that dichotomy of the old covenant and the new covenant, the handoff of the law of Moses, which is all rearward focused into the new covenant, walking with Jesus, which is looking forward, keeping our eyes fixed on the prize, the prize of the high calling, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But I skipped ahead. Joshua chapter 2, we see, so the Lord gives Joshua this instruction in Joshua 1, that we're ready to go. So in verse 10, you see, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the camp, commanded the people, prepare provisions. He's ready to roll. He's, we're moving. He gives them all instructions. There was a couple of tribes that were going to stay on the, what is the east side of the Jordan. And he said, you guys, your families can stay, but the soldiers, the fighting men, let's roll. We're going to go. You're going to help because we helped you drive out the inhabitants of your land. You're going to come help the rest of the tribes. Then we get to verse, or chapter 2, and we see Joshua learned a little something. So remember, if you go all the way back to Numbers chapter 13, you see uh, Joshua and Caleb accompanied 10 other spies into this land one other time. They went as spies. They went to look, and they were instructed to go search it out, see what it's like. What kind of fruit does it grow? What kind of crops do they have? What are the cities like? What are the people like? They came back, and when they came back, Joshua and Caleb were like, "Let's, let's do it. Like, obviously they're giants, they're fortified cities, but like, Jehovah is our God. He goes with us, so we'll be fine. And the other 10 were overwhelmed. It's like, oh no, the fortified cities, we can't do this. So Joshua learned a little something, and he sends out two spies. He says, when Moses did it, he sent out 12. 10 of them came back full of fear. Two of them came back full of faith. We'll just skip the 10 and go right to the two. He sends out two spies, and in Joshua 2, we see the story, and we've preached about this before. We talked about this, about how they went to Rahab's house, uh, they were hidden. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. And she hid them. And um, when the dust of Jericho settles, Rahab the harlot winds up joining the Israelites and in fact is part of the lineage of King David and actually Jesus, which is a really neat, I just love the way the Lord weaves this story together. In verse 8 of Joshua chapter 2, we're going to pick up here. I want to look at a few things in this Joshua chapter 2. Verse 8 we see, now before they lay down, so she had taken them into her house and she had hidden them on her roof. The authorities in Jericho were looking for them because they had heard that there were spies sent out. But before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Verse 9, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land 
that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Verse 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came up out of Egypt. And we've heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, King Sihon and King Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above the earth and on the earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. These two spies got a glimpse, and we just read it. They got a glimpse of how the Canaanites actually saw them. See, the spies that came back in Numbers chapter 13, the other 10, they projected how they saw themselves into the Canaanites. Let's look back at it. Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 30. We're going to read this and we'll kind of loop back. We'll compare the two. Verse 26 in Numbers. Now they departed. These are the spies, the 12 spies. They came back to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought word back to them and to all the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Nevertheless, in spite of that, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. You, see, you hear the hope draining? I mean, it's just like going fast. They started out, we went to the, it's truly, it flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit from it. But the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to, over, able to overcome it. And a little further down, you see that they kind of go back and forth a little bit. And the children, the 10 spies actually said that we're as grasshoppers in their sight. We see ourselves as grasshoppers in their sight. Our estimation of us is that there's just no chance. And so we assume that their estimation of us is the same. Does this make sense? You see what we're talking about here? Like how they saw themselves, they saw themselves, I saw, we're defeated. They were defeated before they ever went in. Those 10, they were, we were, were grasshoppers. We see ourselves that way. So they must see us this way. But here in Joshua chapter 2, we see, oh no, ever since the uh, Red Sea crossing, they had no courage. They, had, they were faint-hearted. They didn't have anything. And yet, they saw that they were already defeated. So they functioned as defeated. It's like, well, we'll just march out defeated, head held low. We don't stand a chance. See, these two spies that Joshua sent out, they saw Canaan and the Canaanites accurately. And more importantly, and we looked at this about a couple months ago, but I'm, we're kind of circling back to this. More importantly, they understood the magnitude of God's presence with them. It's, the, these spies, you realize they spent a night in Jericho, which was one of the most fortified cities of the region. It was massive. 
It was, the walls were so big, there was roads, the, the walls of the city had roads on top of them. This, the houses beside the roads on top of the wall. Big city, very fortified. And the city, from what we see earlier, was full of giants. That's not going to work out well. They didn't not see that. These two spies weren't ignorant, and they weren't stupid. What they did, though, they saw that in light of Jesus, of the Lord going with them. They understood. God said, I'm going to go before you. Remember, these two spies had grown up with the Lord's GPS. They had grown up. Wherever the cloud went, they went. Wherever the fire went, they went. Wherever the cloud and the fire stopped, they stopped. These guys grew up eating what the Lord miraculously provided for them. These guys understand, and this is a big thing that I don't want to park here forever, but these guys didn't have jobs. I just let that for a second. These guys weren't farmers. We have no indication that this generation, that these boys that went out spying, that they had ever planted a crop and provided their own food. How did they eat? The Lord fed them. They were so confident in the Lord's ability to provide. They were so confident in the Lord's ability to lead. If the Lord says go, then we should go. He said we should go. We should go. Yes, big cities. Yep, for sure. But we'll be fine. The Lord goes with us. Like what? Think about it from this way. What was the alternative? Like for these guys, should we not go? Like, we're going to let the cloud that has been leading us our entire lives cross the Jordan River, and then we're not going to go? No, we should stay with the cloud. We should stay with the cloud. If he says we should go, we should go. We'll be fine. Interestingly enough, if you look back at that passage we just read in Numbers chapter 13, verse 28 we see, nevertheless, the people, this is where they lose hope. Okay, this is when you hear all the air coming out of their tires, like, Psh, they got no hope, no courage. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. There's just no hope. The cities are fortified and very large. Stick a pin there. Anybody know what the first thing that the Israelites were tasked with when they crossed the Jordan was? We just talked about it. This is not like a trick question. Conquering the biggest, most fortified city. Just to be clear, the Lord's like, this is what held you guys back before. Was this big city? Come, follow me. Thing one, when we get across this river, is I'm going to show you that following me is the place to be. We're going to drop the biggest thing you were afraid of, these cities that are fortified and very large. I want to show you how they are in my kingdom. I will drop them. Just do what I say. Not because of your might, not because of your weapons, but you're going to follow my instructions and by my word, at my command, the city walls of Jericho fall. The first thing they were tasked with conquering once they were in the land of Canaan was what the previous bunch of spies had been the most fearful of. And I love, we're not going to get into that, but when the Lord brings the city to its, to the, to its level, if you read, it's a really cool thing. It's not just like, it doesn't just fall over. If you read like, and look at the words that are, it's level with the ground. It's like, it's just gone. Level. I love it. But before we get to Jericho, we have to cross the Jordan River, which was at flood stage. 
This is concerning. If any of you have ever spent time on a river or around a river, flood stage is not the time to go wandering into it. We're going to read a chunk of scripture if you want to follow along or if you'd like an opportunity. This is a great time to shut your eyes for a little. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We're going to read through it and uh, then kind of pick it, pick it up and unpack it a little bit. Joshua 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. They commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Verse 6, Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan River. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Verse 12, Now therefore, take yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. It shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand up in a heap. So it was... When the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. They rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down to the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea failed. They were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Just some fun little trivia facts about the Jordan River one of the fastest flowing rivers in that region and probably in all the world with an approximate average of 69 feet per mile of fall. That's a lot of fall. She's moving. It was potentially, it was for sure 100 feet wide and possibly up to a half a mile wide at this point. It's difficult to tell because so much has changed in the region uh, just geographically since then, but it was... 10 foot deep or deeper with 70 feet of fall per mile and between 100 and a lot wider than that feet wide. This is not something, this isn't child's play. This isn't walking across like a mud puddle. This, 
These conditions, they were ripe for the Israelites to complain to try to turn back, weren't they? Like, this is, you're not going, really? You're going to make it across there? But with this generation, we see none of the hesitancy of the last. There's no hesitation in that entire chapter we just read. The Lord said, do this. We'll do it. The Lord said, lead with the priests. Give them the Ark of the Covenant. All right, we'll lead with the priests. As soon as their feet get in there, we're going to pile the water up miles away. Natural wisdom would suggest if we were in that case, we were in that situation, that we would lead with the strongest swimmers, not somebody that can swim. I mean, even if you think, even if the Lord's like, I'm going to pile the waters up still, just, I mean, because how many of you have ever had contingency plans? The Lord gives you a word and it's like, well, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. But in the event that the waters wouldn't pile up, we should send a strong swimmer or a few of them. Maybe they had Olympic swim teams of some sort. Let's send those guys. Give them a rope. And then just in the event, obviously Jehovah's going to be fine and he will do what he says. But in the event that he doesn't, let's send those guys across. No. Let's send the priests with the Ark of the Covenant. Not a light thing. These dudes wore robes. They weren't swimming type. Contrary to the appearance though, and this is why I want to, this is, we're kind of, Contrary to the appearance, it looks like they did not lead with strength, does it not? Like from the natural, it doesn't, like that was a poor choice. At least send the warriors, at least send soldiers. Somebody that's got some fight in them. You're going to send the priests with the robes and the ark? They're carrying something. Contrary to appearance though, they led with the ultimate source of their power and ability. They led with the presence of the Lord. We understand that the Ark of the Covenant is where the, where the Lord resided in that nation at that time. So they led with power. They didn't have anything else better than that. They, didn't have, they could have had the strongest swimmers. The, who's the guy? The Michael Phelps. You could have led with Michael Phelps, and they led stronger. Does that make sense? Like they led with the presence, and I love in this, um, I got to find it, but in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 3, Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God who is among you and that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive them out. There's a, there's a point he's trying to make. This is, I'm going to show you the reason you can trust me is what you're about to see. And he goes on in verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of what? All the earth. There's a couple instances in this chapter where it's not just the Lord. Behold, behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That should suffice. No. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. In case anyone was doubting, this isn't just our Lord. This is the Lord of all the earth. Including what? The River Jordan. This is the Lord of the River Jordan. We're sending the Ark, the presence of the Lord of the River, before you into the river. We're going to be fine. Think about that for us today as believers. Where do you go? What do you lead with? Do we acknowledge, and this is, and I, I, I shied away from this, and I, I spoke with a couple of you this morning, and everybody was like, well, just send it. Just say what the Lord laid on your heart. So we talked about this like two months ago. The sermon title was about this, okay? This isn't new information to anybody, but this is the, like this generation of Israelites They were not stronger than the last ones. They weren't better than the last ones. 
but they properly valued the presence of the Lord with them. They looked at their circumstances around them and they're like, this is not great. We're crossing a river at floodplain. We're going to a fortified city. But they put that on one side of the scale of their valuation and on the other side they said, but the Lord is with us. And they put an accurate value on that statement and that declaration. My question is for us today, do we accurately value the presence of the Lord in our lives? Do we value it as greater than all the circumstances around us? Or do we value it as like, it could go either way? Because I, I don't know. You know, it might, maybe it's cancer. That's a bad word. It's, is it greater than the Lord with you? Remember, who's the Lord? What do we see in verse 11? Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of what? All the earth. He's bigger than all of this. Now, we're going to just follow me. Just stay with me, okay? Romans chapter 8. I was going to ask you, Tom, is it okay if I use this? Romans 8 today? This is, belongs to Tom, but he lets me use it periodically. Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. Okay, just hang, we're going to put this all together. Hang with me, everybody. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can accomplish the task that they attempt against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also, he gave us his son, with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? In other words, Paul's asking this, it's a rhetorical question. You want to bring a condemnation against someone that the Lord God of all the earth justified? Who are you? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Verse 35, I love this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Anybody got anything? Worst thing you can think of, it's listed right here. Shall tribulation? Nope. Shall distress? Uh, I don't know. Distress? Are we sure? About, yeah, distress cannot. Persecution? Nope. Famine? Starving to death? That seems very, like, I don't know. That would be hard for me. Nakedness? Peril? Or even the sword? Which is implying you don't use a sword to pat someone on the back. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, thank you, Jesus. Yet in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, seated down in the bottom of Paul's gut, he knew, I am persuaded, convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing greater than the love of Jesus. If we, pro and this, is, this has been big, uh, I mean, we've talked about life circumstances. We call this our family rooms. We spend time as a family talking about family stuff here. And our uh, last 12 months hasn't been like in this earth, in this natural world, hasn't been the greatest. As like some stuff has been difficult, hard, like 
just from the little things to the big things. It just feels like every time you start to stand up, you get kicked in the gut again. Not, not super fun. But when I look at this passage that Paul wrote, has anything that I've ever, that I've encountered in the last 12 months, is anything greater than the love of Jesus? No. It doesn't even, like if there was a valuation scale that we're just talking about the children of Israel using, if we had one of those and we put the love of Jesus given to you freely, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that was imputed to you, that you've been made righteous, you put that on one side, nothing else even moves the scale. That's what Paul's getting at. You've got the love of Christ given to you freely, the Spirit of God poured out because of the blood of Jesus. That's over here. You, you, does anybody remember the old balance beam scale thing? And if you set a heavy enough thing on the one side, you can jump on the other side and nothing moves. That's a picture of what Paul's talking about here. There's nothing. You got, like, it may be uh, financial problems. It may be physical problems. It may be relational problems. It might be family relationship stuff with money all mixed together. It might be sickness. It might be uh, actual physical persecution from government bodies. They experienced that. And the days that he was writing the book of Romans, it wasn't all puppies and kittens. They didn't have everything all together. It was very difficult. They were getting their heads chopped off. Literally, their physical heads severed from their bodies. And he's penning, yeah, but in all of these things, we're more than conquerors. You done lost your mind. In all of these things, remember, the guys, they don't have heads anymore. And Paul's like, yeah, but in, more, in that, we're more than conquerors. Through Jesus who loved us, he had a proper valuation of the presence of the Lord going with him. There was nothing he was going to encounter in this life or leaving this life that was even close. No hardship, no good thing, no principalities, no powers, nothing. What? Not principalities? How much preaching and teaching and talking do we hear today about how we're doing battle against principalities? We got the wickedness in high places, which is true. Same guy wrote that. But he also wrote this, like, in perspective. Church, let's keep it in perspective. Difficulties, they're legit. There's difficulties, there's problems. There's things that we ask the Lord for, that we ask the Lord about, that we pray, that we speak to, whatever, that we don't see. And there's things that we do see. There's good stuff. What do we read here? That I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. So we look at this and tend to look at the negatives. We look at all the bad, like, none of this bad stuff, none of this bad stuff can separate. Neither can the good things. Angels, principalities, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth. I was in an airplane one time, and you were with me, Gary. And you remember when we were flying home and we had to land in Louisville? We were on a mission trip, and uh, the plane had more serious problems than they alluded to us in the plane. It was like, ah, this is your captain. We're just shutting the lights and the air and everything off in the cabin. Just, but it's nothing to worry about. Like, this seems like an opportune moment to panic. Nobody panic. First, it's like, well, we had generator problems. Well, I, I'm not like an airplane mechanic, but I think generators are real important to a plane. The reason I think this is because there's three of them on the plane that we were on. The first one had problems, so they shut it off. The second one, it's rolling along, we're flying, we're still going to make Detroit, no problem. You know what? That one had problems. So they shut that one off. That's okay. We're on the backup. Now, the backup generator on these airplanes, it kept, I don't remember, they shut the fans off. Like, you know how when you get in a plane sitting at the gate and there's the air blowing 
And then when you actually take off, it like really blows. They shut all that off. It was like, there had to have been ventilation of some kind because we were still breathing. And, and we were breathing faster than we were before. <laughs> and we're flying along, and the guy I was sitting next to, leans, they had just said, nobody panic. This is not the time to panic. As we're coming in view of the runway, we see the runway is lined with uh, fire trucks and ambulances. And a friend of mine leans over and he's like, I think now's the perfect time to panic. <laughs> I said, I think you might be right. But we're moving. I mean, we're, fly, we're way high. The fire trucks look like this. It's like there's something either wrong on the ground or we're it. We're what's wrong. And I think about that every time I read verse 39 of Romans chapter 8. Nor height, nor depth. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Planes that are in the air, planes that are coming down from the air. Nothing can separate us. Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17 reads, if you love me, this is Jesus, the night before his crucifixion to his disciples said, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide being the helper, the Holy Spirit, abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for what he dwells with you and will be in you. The reality is no matter where we go, no matter what we encounter, wherever we go when we leave this place and however we check out of this life, he never leaves us and nor forsakes us. The magnitude of this is often lost on us because of the volume of the world that we live in. Anybody ever experienced the volume of the world that we're in where it's, it gets pretty loud? Uh, competition, comparing yourselves among yourselves, measuring yourselves by yourselves, sickness, saving for retirement. That should certainly separate us from the love of God because we ought to have more. I mean, I just think we should. That's, maybe it's, Maybe it's lack of money. Maybe it's presence of money. Whatever. The, this, all these things, they distract us. Maybe it's just the volume of the radio. This has been, the Lord's kind of knocked on my door a few times. This is maybe a shock for some of you. Maybe it's your phone. This, I'm sure not in this body, but some people in this world are probably distracted by social media. We don't understand that. I understand that none of you are into that. But some people are into that, and they're distracted by it. The volume of Everything, the volume of driving by the neighbors. Especially if you live, happen to live by Markley. Every time you drive by, there's a campfire and a, just looks like a wonderful place to hang out. Then you start running the questions, why didn't he call me? <laughs> I hear you. The volume of this life can get awfully loud. Thinking back to the children of Israel crossing the Jordan, I watched some video clips uh, this last week. Just, I, I enjoy, I've never seen the Jordan River in person, 
Someday, it's on my list, either in this life or the next, I'm going to see the River Jordan. But I saw some video clips of it during flood season. And I was in my mind when I'm looking for these video clips, I'm thinking of what it looks like. Like, it looks, it's, there's a lot of water moving real fast. But the thing I didn't think about until I opened the link was the volume. A river at flood plain, at flood stage is loud. And it wasn't even like a water, it wasn't like rocks and stuff, it was just the water moving was loud. The volume of the water moving in our lives can be pretty loud. But do we weigh that against the value of his presence with us? And if we do, do we value his presence accurately? If you're here this morning and you're born again, you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved. Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39 belongs to you. This was written from your perspective as a believer. You might not see it that way, but I'm telling you, it is true. If you have been made right by the blood of Jesus, not by your own actions, not by your own efforts, you're a participant in the new covenant. And you can declare, yet in all of these things, I am more than a conqueror. However the things turn out. It's so... um, It's easy to look at this passage in Romans and the story in Joshua, both of them, and when we look at them, when we're killing it. That's good, isn't it? When you pray for something and then you see it manifest, you see it, you see whatever the thing is, and it's like, crossing that Jordan today, baby, we're going across. I'm more than a conqueror. When you pray for a provision and you see it. When you share the gospel with somebody and they get born again. Whatever the thing is, when you're killing it, when you're winning, when you're on the top of this life, it's real easy. It gets a little harder, though, when we don't see stuff. When you feel defeated, it's difficult to declare that you're more than a conqueror. When you feel distracted, it's difficult to declare that you're more than a conqueror, isn't it? Am I the only one there? It's hard. It's hard to declare that when it's like, I'm praying for this and I don't see it. I'm studying scripture and I see Joshua and they go marching across the Jordan River. We don't see it. It's easy. This stuff preaches great in the natural stuff. And I think it's fun to preach And as long as you see these things manifest, buddy, it'll draw a crowd. Hey, they got all this provision. They prayed for provision and now they're millionaires. Like, we should go to their church. We should do what they're doing. But you know what? And this is, is, we're going off some rails here. Everybody just hold on. But do you know what's greater than that? You know what's higher than someone praying for provision and having a full freezer? That looks good. That's like you prayed for provision, freezer's full. But do you know what looks, what's more powerful than that testimony? Is to believe and just believe. To declare Romans chapter 8, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. To mail that letter from a prison cell. To declare it when you don't see it. 
You want somebody to ask you about your testimony of faith? Winning is great. And I'm not opposed to winning. This isn't a message anti-winning. This is a message about faith and valuing the presence of the Lord with us in every circumstance. It's easy to declare the goodness of God when it's like the goodness of mere circumstances. I will sing of the goodness of... Will we sing like the saints when they were translating the Bible into English and they covered them with tar and pitch, which is very flammable, tied them to a stake and lit them on fire? Now, I'm not believing for that. I'm not preaching to that end, okay? But understand, that testimony, never relenting, burning, is not going well. Even in this, we're more than conquerors. There is no testimony more powerful than that. That's not fun. Like, I understand nobody's jumping up and down, but that is the faith that Paul's talking about. That's the faith perspective that he's writing from in Romans. This is so much bigger than this life. You understand that if they lop off my head, if they burn me, if they put me in prison, if I prosper and have all kinds of things, whatever happens, eternity is secure. The Lord of all the earth. You are right with the Lord of all the earth. This Lord that you and I have the opportunity to be right with has no beginning. It's like, think about that. He has no beginning. We cannot wrap our peanut brains around that. No beginning and no end. And you are legally right with him by believing in Jesus. Does anything in this life compare? Does any hardship compare? Does any good thing compare? It's like you could win a hundred billion dollars, but if you're not right, if you gain the world but lose your soul, what profit is it? I know I get wound by the end of I'm. I determined this morning, I was praying this morning, I'm like, I am going to stay calm. I'm going to tell, I'm a, I, I can't do calm. I just can't do calm. We talked about this earlier, but I want to look at it again. The same, this, this is true for us. When we focus on Moses, on the law of Moses, which there's a lot of Christianity today, a lot of Christianity is focused on Moses. What are we doing with the Ten Commandments? What are we doing with the 613 laws? What are we going to, are we keeping them? Are we following them? It's like, oh, the law says this and the law says that. There's a point to that. It's to bring us to the end of ourselves. But when we focus on Jesus, on what Jesus did on the cross, in accurately what Jesus did on the cross, not just a church version of it. Sometimes I think our church language is our worst enemy because we just get comfortable. It's like, well, are you born again? Yeah, but stop and think what that means. You were born once physically, and then you had the opportunity to be literally born again spiritually and eternally? That's huge. That's way bigger than just a quick, are you born again? That's a big deal. Sometimes our Christian language knocks us off focus. We just get comfortable with it. But the more we are aware of what Jesus did on the cross, the more peace we walk in. And it's not circumstantial. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's a, I'm not going to get into Greek class here, but joy and grace are sister words. 
They're, they're from the same root. Root. I'm from the Midwest. I say things like root. They're from the same root. Kara and charis. Joy and grace. And they're both unmerited. You say, what does that mean? I'm not sure how joy means unmerited. Because joy isn't determined by your circumstances. It doesn't, it, it's not a merited emotion. But you know where the word happy comes from? It's sister word, and this is gonna be, this is gonna shock you. You're gonna go away blown, like mind blown. Happen. Happen is a sister to the word happy. It's where we get happy from. The things that happen around us make us happy. There's circumstances. There's nothing wrong with being happy. I'm not opposed to being happy. But happiness is different than joy. We're called to live in joy. I guarantee that happiness is not going to be dumping out of our every word and thought if we were find ourselves like burning at the stake. But joy, now that's possible because that's not merited by our circumstances. Everything doesn't have to be perfect for us to have joy because our joy, our inner peace comes from the Lord. That's where we draw strength. That's off the rails. But I just, this is my prayer for us this morning that we can get to where we properly value the promise that Jesus made in John 14. That he will send us a helper who will abide with us forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot receive it because it neither sees the Holy Spirit nor knows him, but we know him. For the spirit of the Lord dwells with us and will be in us. If you would join me and stand this morning, I'd like to declare the love of Jesus over us. That in all these things that we find ourselves in, we are more than conquerors. This world has not been fixed. And we know with the Apostle John that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we can be persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, anything that we encounter in this life is able to separate us from the love of God. And so we go out with the boldness of a lion. The wicked may flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Bow with me if you would. Father, I thank you so much that you are with us today. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So when we go from this place, we don't have to ask you to go with us, but Father, we thank you that you sent your spirit your spirit dwells on the inside of us and that we can go regardless of what this world has in store, whatever the difficulties that this next week may have, whatever the victories that this next week have. Father, I just pray that we would stay Christ-focused. We would stay completely and entirely consumed by the love of Jesus. We would not let our, uh, our difficulties or our, the victories or the good things or the bad things take precedence in our lives. Father, we would be able to navigate them with wisdom. We know that we're not, we're not leaving this earth yet, and so we have to live in this world. We're just not of it. I just pray that we would walk with spiritual wisdom. We would be sensitive to the leading of your spirit. When you tell us to turn left, Lord, help us to turn left. Give us courage. Thank you so much that you've come to dwell within us. The opportunity we have to open your word this morning, to study, see little glimpses of Jesus in this new covenant. Pray a blessing over each person that's here this morning. Just pray the blessing of Abraham over this body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.